It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Oftentimes when we look at a great man or woman of faith in the Bible, we think, you know, I could never be like that. My life's too messed up. My family's too messed up. You know, I I have a lot of issues to overcome. And, you know, we conclude that it's great that that they are so great. It's it's wonderful that, that they've had this life of faith. But, you know, I could never do that. I could never be like Abel or, or Enoch or, or Noah or Abraham or Sarah or, or all these different people that we've been looking at through the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, I don't know about you, but I know in my life there have been times when, when I felt like that and uh, perhaps you feel like that or you're feeling like that right now. And you know, if that's you, if you're thinking, man, uh, these people don't seem to, to have the kind of messed up life as me or the messed up family as me or the struggles that I have. They just seem to be always gotten it right. And, you know, there's two people that we're going to see here that are next in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I think if that's you, they're going to bring encouragement to you. And those two people are Isaac and Jacob. And the reason I think they'll bring encouragement is because they had messed up lives. They had messed up families. They really, most of their lives or a lot of their lives, they didn't live in faith as they should have. Instead, they lived in disobedience. But the encouraging thing is at the end of their life, that they came to this place of faith. They left the the disobedience of their life and they came to a place of faith in the promises of God. And so I'm encouraged by this because it reminds me, you know what, God can change messed up people. He can change people with messed up families who are living lives of disobedience. He can bring us to a place of faith. He can bring us to a place of growth in Him. So if you're struggling in your faith this morning, if you would categorize your life as messed up, or you look at your family and you say, my family's messed up, or you're just struggling with some disobedience in your life, as we look at Isaac and Jacob this morning, as we look at what we see in their lives, let that be a challenge to you. Let that be an encouragement to you because God changes disobedient, messed up people. And He can do that for you and I as well. You know, God's in the business of transforming lives. He's in the business of taking people who are screwed up and making them uh, useful for His kingdom. Philippians 1.6 tells us, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, this is such an important thing to remember, to be encouraged by, that, you know, God started the work, but you know what? He's going to complete what He started in you and in me all the way until we either die or the Lord comes back for us. Now, some days it might not feel like that. 
Some days you look at your life and you're just thinking, man, my life more resembles what we're going to see of, of Isaac and Jacob. It's kind of messed up. The family I have is messed up. There's some disobedience going on here. And, and it just doesn't feel like God's going to complete the work that he started. But even in the midst of times like that, days like that, just remember this promise of what the Lord can and will do for you. So let's see what we can learn from messed up men with messed up families living messed up lives who come to a place of faith in the Lord. And the author of Hebrews is going to share with us this place in their life where they come to faith, where they start living that life of faith, both of Isaac and Jacob. In Hebrews chapter 11, they each get a verse, verse 20 and 21. It says this, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, we just get a little snippet into both of these guys. They both just get one verse. But as I mentioned many times as we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, is the author is originally writing to Jewish believers. And so they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with the book of Genesis, which reveals the life of Jacob and the life of Isaac. Uh, and so they would have known a lot of the details that when you just read this, you're kind of unaware, perhaps, if you haven't studied Genesis and looked through that, you know, well, what, what goes on with Isaac blessing his sons and, and Jacob blessing his grandsons. You know, you know what takes place with these things. And so the original uh, initial uh, uh, readers would have been aware of that. And so I want us to take some time to, you know, as we look at what's being said here and this point of faith in their life to kind of look back at Genesis and see the situation that it's taking place in. Now, for those of you who already know, especially Isaac and, and the circumstances surrounding his blessing of Jacob and Esau, you're probably thinking to yourself, in that twisted, horrible, ungodly situation, where in the world is Isaac showing and demonstrating faith? Well, we're going to look at that and we're going to see at what point in time does Isaac show faith in such a messed up circumstance. Now, we're going to see that in Genesis 27, but I think it's important, you know, to kind of get a little bit of a background of this messed up family because it kind of builds and and gets to the point where Isaac is now going to choose to bless uh, his sons. And so the first thing I think is important for us to understand is Rebecca, who is Isaac's wife, when she was pregnant with twins, so Jacob and Esau are twins, uh, there's something wrong with her pregnancy and she prays and she's asking the Lord what's wrong. And this is something that God reveals to her in Genesis 25, 23 he says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God is revealing to Rebecca, hey, you're, you're having twins. These twins are going to represent two nations. And then God tells her something that went against the custom of the time. In that culture, and as many other cultures that we have today, the younger typically will serve the older. The, the firstborn is the one who gets everything, who has all the responsibility, and it's the, the younger that's serving the older, not vice versa. And so God is telling her, well, there's, there's a difference here. The older son is going to serve the younger son. And so God is telling her, her, Jacob, the younger son, he's going to be the one that's ultimately going to take over as head of the family, not Esau, the older son. And God is promising to put Jacob in that 
firstborn role, and connected with that is the birthright and the blessing from Isaac. So that's a very important thing to understand, that this is something that God has declared. The second thing we need to understand is what we're told about these boys when they're born. Uh, the firstborn son was hairy all over, so he comes out as this kind of little hairy fluffball, and so they call him Esau, which means hairy. You know, kind of a, you know, a name just based off of what they see when he comes out. And they do the same thing with his brother, because as Esau comes out, his brother grabs his heel, and so they name him Jacob which means heel catcher. But this term also could be uh, used for trickster and deceiver, which is unfortunately something that you see in Jacob's life as well. The third thing we need to understand is when these guys grow up, what is it that they're like? Well, Esau and Jacob are very different kinds of men. Esau is a, a skillful hunter. He's the man of the field. He's a, an outdoor man. You know, Probably in our culture today, we would say he's a man's man. Jacob, on the other hand, he's a mild man, he, he dwells in tents, he's an indoor man, and I think as you study the passage, you really recognize he's kind of a mama's boy. So there's, there's kind of the, the tough, you know, outdoor man of Esau versus kind of the more mild mama's boy in Jacob. And that brings us to something very important to understand, is that both parents, Isaac and Rebekah, show great favoritism to different sons. Isaac liked his man's man's son. He liked Esau the most. He loved him the most. He favored him the most. And Rebecca, she definitely favored Jacob the most. And the final thing I think we need to understand about this messed up family before we look at this blessing is that how does Jacob receive the birthright that was going to go to the oldest son in the culture? He receives it from his brother Esau. Now, the birthright not only went to the oldest son, but it was a, a double portion of the inheritance, but it also was a recognition that you were going to take the spiritual leadership role of the family once you know, the father dies. But as we noted earlier, God promised to put Jacob in that role. So Jacob's going to get the birthright. And if he would just have trusted the Lord, he would have recognized God's going to give it to me. That's something that he's called me to have. And so I don't need anything to do anything to try to get it myself. I can just trust that God will do it. But that's not the kind of man that, that Jacob was. Uh, he was a schemer. He was a deceiver. He's a guy who tries to get things in his own way and his own strength. And so his brother comes. He's hungry. He was out in the field all day. Jacob has just made this stew. And, oh, Jacob, can I have some stew? He's like, well, Esau, yeah, you can have some stew if you sell me your birthright. And Esau's response just kind of shows that he didn't really care much about his birthright. What's a birthright to me? Yeah, I'll sell it to you. I'm just hungry. It just showed like he didn't really concern himself with the spiritual aspects of being the one who was supposed to take over as a spiritual leader of the home. And, and we see a lot of that in Esau's ungodly life. And so this is kind of the, the build up to now what we're going to see. It. Isaac's at the end of his life and he's going to now make a choice to bless his sons and I want you to kind of have that background as we come to that. And so now we're going to come to Genesis 27. And keep in mind, remember, the author of Hebrews is saying that, you know, by faith, Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And so I want you to think of by faith. And the stories we look at it, where in the world do we see the faith of Isaac? Genesis 27, 1 through 4 says this. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. 
Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So here we're told that Isaac, he's old, but he's also blind. And keep that in mind. That's an important part of, of what's going on here. And, and he thinks, you know what? I'm, I'm about to die. My, my life is probably coming to an end very soon. And he knows that before he dies, he needs to pass on the blessing to his son. Now, now the blessing would really go hand in hand with the birthrights. In that culture, it was to be given to the oldest son. But as we saw, God said, no, no, no. It's not going to go to the oldest son, Esau. It needs to go to the younger son, Jacob. The older is going to serve the younger. So Isaac, he knows what God wants him to do. He knows who he should bless according to what God's word says and what God's will declares. But he doesn't want to follow that. Now, this blessing was usually a big ordeal that would have been done in front of the whole family. And he's supposed to be blessing Jacob in front of the family, letting them see what he is choosing to do. But he doesn't do that. Notice what he does. He calls Esau and they have this private meeting in his tent. And he tells his son, you know, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. And so I want to I want to bless you. And so here's what you're going to do. Go and hunt. You know, you're the, the man of the field. I want you to go hunt and I want you to kill and I want you to bring and make that savory food that I love. And you bring me that great meal. And as you do that, I'm going to eat that and then I'm going to bless you before I die. And so notice that Isaac is intending to go against God's word. He's intending to go against God's will. He's planning on blessing Esau instead of blessing Jacob. He's planning on doing something that goes against what God has clearly revealed he should do. And so we see this place of disobedience to the Lord in the life of Isaac. Now, Rebecca is listening into this conversation that's in Isaac's tent. She hears what he says. She recognizes, oh my goodness, he's going to bless Esau instead of my favorite Jacob. And so she comes up with her own sinful plan to deceive her husband and get him to bless Jacob instead of Esau. Now, remember, Isaac is blind at this point in time, because obviously someone who could see, there'd be no way to, to deceive, like, which son is in front of me. So he can't see anything. And so she, she comes up with a plan. She has her son Jacob put on animal skins on his arms and on his neck. Because remember, Esau, he's super hairy. And Jason, Jacob, he's a smooth-skinned guy. And so he would know right away, Dad touches my arm. There's no way he's going to believe I am Esau. So they put this animal skin that had hair on it on him. Uh, she takes Esau's clothes, tells Jacob to put them on so he'll smell like his brother. And then she says, hey, I know the kind of food that Esau's going to make and the kind that Isaac loves. And I'm going to make this meal. And I'm going to give it to you. And then you're going to go in there. And here's the plan. Pretend like you're your brother and allow your father to then bless you instead of him. And so Jacob follows this sinful plan, goes in with the animal skins, goes in with his brother clothes, goes in with the meal that his mom made, pretends that he's Isaac. And right when he speaks, Isaac is a little bit like, wait a second, this doesn't sound like my son Esau. This sounds like my son Jacob. And so he, he at first has some doubts, but then Jacob comes near and he touches his arm. Oh, this is, this is a hairy guy, so it can't be Jacob. It must be Esau. And so all of a sudden, you know, he's thinking, well, maybe this is Esau. And then we see this in Genesis 27, 27 through 29. 
And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's son, speaking of Jacob, bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now what's interesting here is Isaac, as he is actually blessing his son Jacob, he thinks he's blessing his son Esau. And he's trying to go completely against God's word that clearly said he shouldn't do that, God's will, because God said Jacob would be the stronger and Esau would serve Jacob. Now in this blessing, notice Isaac thinks he's saying, hey, Jacob is going to serve you, but actually what he's saying is Esau is going to serve Jacob. Because unbeknownst to Isaac, he's actually blessing the wrong son. He's actually claiming what God said would happen. The younger is actually going to be over. The older is going to serve the younger. Now remember, Hebrews 11 told us, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So, so far in our story, we have to ask the question, where's the faith of Isaac? And where's the faith of Isaac in this blessing, in this deception, and all that's going on? There's no faith yet. But we're going to see faith. Faith is going to come. But all the way up to this point in time, he's still in disobedience. He's deliberately trying to bless the wrong son and go against what God's word and God's will says. But you know what? Esau's about to come in the tent. He's about to realize that he has been deceived. And we're going to start to see where the faith comes in. Let's see what happens in verse 30. uh, 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory fruit and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let me, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. So right after Jacob gets done deceiving his dad and and gets the blessing, he gets out of that tent as as soon as he can, and, and all of a sudden Esau gets back from hunting, he prepares that meal from the animal that he killed, and he goes into Isaac's tent and he's ready for the blessing. He says, here's the food, Father, that you love. Eat it and bless me. Now Isaac, as you can imagine, very confused, says, uh, who are you? Like, why are you bringing me another meal? I mean, I, I already ate your meal. I already blessed you, son. Like, who, who is this? I am Esau, your son. And when Isaac heard that, we're told that he trembled exceedingly. Now, this Hebrew phrase here is a very strong term. It means to shake convulsively. And you can imagine why he would do that. He's just recognizing, wait a second, I blessed a son just a little bit ago, and you're telling me it wasn't the right one? Esau's here now, and so that, who was this son before this? And so Isaac says, who? Where's the one who hunted game? Brought it to me. I I ate of it before he came, and I have blessed him. Now remember, Isaac knew that he should have blessed Jacob instead of Esau. 
He knew that he was going completely against what God's word and God's will was concerning this blessing. But his plan didn't work. Instead of blessing Esau, he blessed Jacob. And I want you to note something that Isaac does here, something that he says that's very important. First, he says, I have blessed him, speaking of Jacob. And then he says these words, indeed, he shall be blessed. Now, I want you to think about you being Isaac in this situation. You just find out you're deceived. You're probably thinking, all right, no worries. Esau, the blessing is for you. I got curses for my other deceptive son. You know, I'm going to be cursing Jacob after what he did, and I'm going to take the blessing I gave to him. And Esau, it's all yours. There's no, there's no problem here. I'll just switch the blessing to you. But that's not what happens. As he finds out that he was deceived by his brother, but more importantly, or by his son, more importantly, he recognizes, you know what? I blessed Jacob instead of Esau. But that is always the son that I know I was supposed to bless. And so when he says, I have blessed Jacob and he shall be blessed, he's meaning, he's saying, hey, I'm not going to change the blessing. I'm not going to take the blessing I gave to you and give it, you know, or gave to Jacob and give it to you, Esau. Now, this is the point where Isaac goes from disobedience to faith. When he realizes that he has blessed Jacob, that he always should have blessed Jacob, and now He's deciding, you know what, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to go back and continue this this, um, going against God's word and going against his will. And this is why we're told in Hebrews 11.20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Because Isaac sees, man, I, I finally get it. I've been trying for years and years to bless and make sure Esau's the one who gets the birthright. Esau's the one who gets the blessing. Esau's the one who gets the things that God said are going to be going to Jacob. I've been going against God's word. I've been going against God's will. But you know what? Even in my plan to make these things happen, it didn't happen. God's plan came to fruition. God used all the things that happened, and ultimately now Jacob, the one who was always meant to be blessed, is the one that's blessed. And when Isaac understands that, he says, you know what? I blessed Jacob, and he is going to be blessed. I'm not taking it from him because I'm done going against God's word and God's will, and I'm going to keep the blessing with Jacob. David Guzik wrote this, Isaac was really in the flesh, not in faith, when he first intended to bless Esau not instead of Jacob. He wanted to bless Esau with the birthright for carnal reason. He liked Esau as a more manly man, and he liked the wild game he brought home. Instead, he should have chosen Jacob, whom God chose. The faith in Isaac's blessing came in after Isaac's attempt to thwart the will of God was destroyed, when he said of Jacob, and indeed he shall be blessed. He knew that his puny attempt to box God in was defeated, and he responded in the faith that said, Okay, God, you win. Let Jacob be blessed with the birthright, and let Esau be blessed after him in his own way. I think something important to note about Isaac in this situation is it literally shook his life. We're told it caused him to tremble exceedingly. But having his life shaken in this way was actually a great thing for Isaac because it caused him to have to face his disobedience. As he was shaken, as he was trembling, as he recognized, 
I just blessed Jacob instead of Esau, but you know what? That's always what God wanted, and he finally has to face the disobedience that was in his life. And you know what? He decided, you know what? I'm not going to continue this. I'm going to now accept the fact that God got his will done, and I'm going to obey God's word and God's will. I'm going to put my faith in the reality that Jacob was always the one to be blessed, and I'm not going to change that. I think this is the kind of response that you and I need to have when we are in a place of disobedience like Isaac was. We need to make a choice to obey what God's Word says, what His will says, and put our faith in those things. For example, if you've been disobeying God in your marriage, you've been disobeying God perhaps as as a husband and what He's telling you to do, or or as a wife and what He's telling you to do, And now things in your marriage are starting to get messed up because of your disobedience to what God's Word tells you. Well, let your messed up marriage cause you to see that you need to make a choice to obey what God's Word says, what God's will is concerning your marriage. Put your faith in those things and do them and watch how things will change. Watch how your marriage will change. Watch how the things that are messed up can be corrected. If you've been disobeying God in your parenting, disobeying what God tells you to do as a father or a mother, and you're starting to see, man, my family is getting messed up. My kids are getting messed up through these disobedient actions that I have. Let your messed up family cause you to see, i got to make a choice. As I see all the messed up circumstances here, I need to obey what I haven't been obeying. I need to do what God's Word says as a father or a mother and watch what God will do as you put your faith in those things and do them. Or maybe you're in a relationship with a very difficult person and you know God's Word commands, love your enemy, love your neighbor. And you're you're disobeying God in that area. And you're realizing, man, this relationship is getting more and more messed up. And let that messed up relationship show you, I need to see that I have this problem of disobedience. I need to obey what God's word says. I need to love this person the way that God tells me to. I'm going to put my faith in that and do it. You know, I think the reality is if we're honest with ourselves, we can say all of us go through times of life where we're like Isaac. All of us go through times of disobedience. All of us have things in our life that are messed up. All of us, if we look close enough, can say there's people in our family, maybe I'm the one you know, that, that's messed up. And when you're in that place like that, there are three things that I really think we all need to do. The first thing to do is you got to recognize that you're in that place. you got to recognize your sin. you got to recognize, as Isaac finally did, I've been in disobedience. I've been trying to bless the wrong son. You know, My marriage is messed up because of my own sin, my parenting, my relationships, whatever it may be that you recognize there's disobedience in my life. That's the starting point because until you recognize that, you're never going to do anything to correct it. So you know, if the Lord is speaking to you right now and pointing out things in your life, you know, just accept the fact that, yes, there are issues that need to change. And the second thing you need to do is repent of that sin. Whatever it is, just say, Lord, I realize, I recognize it's here, and I want to bring it before you. I want to repent of those things. And then the third thing you need to do is return to God's word and will and do what it tells us to do. 
Because ultimately what Isaac does, you know, he, he recognizes, he's repentant in the fact that we see, hey, I'm going to return to what I always should have done. I'm not taking the blessing away from Jacob. It was always meant to be there. And that we would come back to the place of God. Your word says this, that I should do this as a husband or a father or, or, or whatever area it is. And I'm going to get back to what your word says. I'm going to do those things and watch you work. Isaac made a choice to put his faith in God's word to put his faith in God's will in the midst of disobedience, in the midst of a pretty messed up family doing all sorts of deceptive things. And I think that's a great example to each one of us to do the same. That even in the midst of deception and even in the midst of messed up things, even in the midst of disobedience, we can make a choice to obey. And in that choice, we can see God work and move and change our circumstances. Well, the next man that we see here is also a messed up guy living a disobedient life. Actually, if you look at the whole life of Jacob and the whole life of Isaac, Jacob's far more disobedient in his life than Isaac was. And the author of Hebrew tells us in, in verse 21 of Hebrews 11, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Unfortunately, the majority of Jacob's life is a life that is not a life of faith. He would be much more described as a, a disobedient deceiver, disobedient to God, a deceiver of men. But there's something that happened in Jacob's life that caused a, a big change from being this deceiver to being a man who depended and followed and put his faith in God. And you know, I think it's interesting because the author of Hebrews alludes he doesn't make it blatantly obvious, but he alludes to the event that changed Jacob's life. He alludes to it when he says, Jacob worshipped leaning on his staff. Now, you might just read that and blow over and be like, yeah, whatever that means. But you know what? The reason that Jacob had to lean on his staff is because he had a messed up hip. And the reason he had a messed up hip is because he fought with God. And in that fight with God is the turning point for Jacob's life. We see this fight in Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. This is interesting that there's a lot of buildup to this point in Jacob's life, but the way in which God deals with Jacob, I think is very significant and very suitable because up to this point, Jacob was not willing to give God his life. He believed that he could do things better. He was trusting in his own schemes and his own deceptive works, even though it backfired time and time again. His brother wants to kill him. His father-in-law is even more of a deceiver than he. He has this huge amount of time under him. And his deceptive works were not benefiting his life, but yet he kept in his own ability and strength 
trying to do things and not trusting the Lord. And now he's going to learn an important lesson in this fight, in this wrestling match. He's going to learn he is no match for God. And so God comes and wrestles Jacob, and God allows the wrestling match to go on to the breaking of day. Obviously, God could have ended it in a moment at any point he wanted, but he lets it keep going all night long. And I think that God allowed it to go so long because he wanted Jacob to give it all he had. Come on, Jacob, give all that you got, all your strength, all your energy. Let's see it so that Jacob, at the end of it all, could realize everything that I have isn't enough. All my efforts, all that I've done all night long to try to prevail, I didn't get victory. And I think God wants Jacob to recognize you're nothing in comparison to me. Because that's one of Jacob's main problems. He, He thought he could do things on his own. He thought he could handle things on his own and his own strength. And he needs to learn, nope, you can't do it. And so finally, God's done allowing the wrestling match to go on. And he ends it in a, in a very significant way where it only touches Jacob's hip. Boom, pops out of socket. I'm sure extremely painful. That ends that wrestling match right there. But Jacob's defeated, but he won't let God go. And he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now, this wasn't Jacob dictating terms to God as he had on previous occasions. Uh, we're told in uh, Hosea 12, 3-5 that Jacob sought the blessing with weeping. Oh, he's just holding on like, please, I want a blessing. I know I'm defeated, but I, I desperately need you to bless me. See, he's reduced to this place where all he can do is hold on to the Lord. He can't fight anymore. All he can do is hold on to the Lord. And what a great place for him to be. What a great place for you and I to be where we finally realize, I can't fight against God because it's a losing battle. I I can never be victorious in fighting against him. And so I'm just going to hold on to him. That's the place that Jacob's at. He's learning you don't get anywhere with God by struggling and resisting. The only way you get anywhere with God is by yielding to him, humbling yourself before him, and holding on to him. So Jacob wrestles with God, he gets conquered, and he finally realizes he must trust God and not himself. He's in this invaluable place where God conquers him. And what an important place for you and I as well, that we get to that place where God conquers us. We must know and serve and recognize that God is greater than us. And here's the thing we need to understand. You and I will never conquer much of anything until God conquers us. So after this wrestling match, God gives Jacob a new name, just like he gave Abram the name Abraham. He says, you know what? You're no longer to be called Jacob. You're no longer a heel catcher. You're no longer the the schemer, the deceiver. You're going to get a new name. You're going to get the name Israel. Israel means God prevails. And God says, "For, for you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Now, Jacob prevailed in the sense that he endured the struggle with the Lord until God thoroughly conquered him. You see, when you battle with God, you only win by losing. You only win by humbling yourself and giving up and saying, Lord, you've defeated me, you've conquered me, and I want to serve you. And this is where Jacob has prevailed in the sense that he's finally come to this place of recognizing, I can only truly prevail because God has conquered me. So God's saying, Jacob, you're you're no longer the heel catcher. I'm changing your name to Israel. Now, Jacob was left with a physical reminder of that night. From then on, it wasn't just my hip was popped out and God popped it out back in. From then on, he had a limp for the rest of his life. From that moment, he remembers that wrestling match and how God conquered him and and popped his hip out and, and he limped and he had that staff 
And it's so interesting that even in the book of Hebrews now, as we see him worshiping at the end of his life, he's got to lean on that staff because he still has that limp and that reminder of that time when God conquered him. But this is the point where Jacob's life changed. His name was a representative of the change that was happening. You're not the guy you used to be. You're not going to be the heel catcher, the deceiver, the schemer, the guy who tries in all of your own flesh and strength to, to accomplish things. You've got to trust me now. You've got to rely upon me now. You've got to put your faith in me now. I conquered you, and the only way that you'll move forward is by humbling yourself before me. And we see it from that point. There's a growth that starts to happen more and more in Jacob's life. And then we get to the end of his life. And we're going to see, this is what the author of Hebrews is speaking about. At the end of his life, he blesses his grandsons and we see faith in it. But here's something that's so important to understand, especially from someone like Jacob. God gave Jacob the same promises that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. Three main promises. One, I'm going to make you a great nation. So through your descendants, there's going to be this, this big group of people, this large nation. That God's going to give his descendants the promised land. And that through Jacob's seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jacob didn't fully grasp probably what that meant, but this is speaking of one of his descendants is going to be the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he's going to die on the cross for all the sins of the world. And so through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, I think it's important to understand that at the end of Jacob's life, guess what? He hasn't seen any of these three promises come to pass. He knows he's close to death. And what does he look at? I got 12 sons. Well, that's nowhere close to a large nation. That's a big family. But, I mean, that's not a nation by any means. So I don't see the promise of the nation being fulfilled. And at this point in time that we're going to see at the end of his life, he's not even in the promised land. He is in Egypt. Remember, the famine brings him to Egypt. His son, Joseph, is there who gets second in command. That's where he and all of his descendants are. Not one of his descendants are even living in the promised land. And so he surely doesn't see the promise of, man, they don't possess it. They don't even live in it. So at the end of his life, he doesn't see that. And he doesn't meet or see the descendant that's going to bless the whole earth. And so at the end of Jacob's life, he realizes that not one of the three promises that God gave to him will be seen by him in his lifetime. And that's a difficult place to be. That's a difficult place for a person to have faith in. And if someone like Jacob, a real difficult place, because the majority of his life, he was trying to make things happen in his own strength and to realize, man, I haven't seen any of this stuff in my lifetime, and I have to believe that in the future, when I'm dead, God's going to do these things that he promised to do. One of the difficult things about faith, about hoping for things, about believing things that you've never seen, is we often struggle in doing that. But you know what? That's what faith is all about, as we've seen that definition in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that you know, we don't have some blind leap into the absurd with our faith. It has substance. It has evidence. There's, there's plenty of that. But you know what? There's still the reality for us sometimes. When we don't see things, it's hard. And when we go through our life expecting, well, I haven't seen it yet, but I will see it. And then we get to that point at the end of our life and we think, I'm never going to see some of this stuff. Like that's where Jacob is. Am I still going to believe? Am I still going to have faith 
and what God has said. And I think you see that a lot with people who come close to death or at the end of their life, they're looking back, man, I'm never going to see this. And for some of those people, that's a huge struggle. They have a crisis of faith because they realize that they're going to die never having seen what they hoped for, never having seen what they believed in. And that's where Jacob finds himself at the end of his life. About to die, he hasn't seen any of these three promises of God fulfilled in his lifetime, and now he has to make a choice. Am I going to believe in this? Am I going to choose to believe that God's going to do this when I die, or am I going to just stop believing? I'm about dead. I haven't seen this stuff. I just don't believe it anymore. I don't believe God will do it. He didn't do it in my lifetime. Surely it's not going to happen. He's got to make a choice. Which way is he going to go? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. We're going to see the details of this in Genesis 48. And we're going to see how Jacob does this in faith as he blesses his grandsons, the sons of Joseph, his son. Genesis 48, 12 through 16 says, So Joseph brought them from beside his knee, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph looked, took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named among them, upon them, sorry, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of of the earth. And so Jacob's at a place where he's about to die. Joseph, his son, brings his sons, so Jacob's grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to him. And notice what Joseph does. He puts Manasseh, who's the oldest, next to Jacob's right hand, so he would be here, and Ephraim, who's the youngest, next to his left hand. And, and Joseph is doing this for a very significant reason, because back then, when you were to give blessings to multiple people, the one who's on your right hand, who you place your right hand on, will get the greater blessing, and the one who's to your left will get the lesser blessing. The right hand in the Bible is always a, the favored position that's speaking of you know, the strength and skill of people. Uh, we see Jesus described as sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's that favored position. So Joseph is purposely doing this. Manasseh, oldest, here, I want him to get the greater blessing. Ephraim, he's the younger one. I'm going to put him on the left side. And we notice that Jacob does something very interesting. So he sees his grandsons there. He's about to give the blessing, and then he does this. Puts his right hand, crosses it over on the younger, his left hand on the older, and he gives a blessing, blessing the younger with a greater blessing than the older. And he does this deliberately, and it seems that the Word of God doesn't give us a specific instance of God speaking this, but it seems that the Lord revealed to Jacob that's what he wanted him to do. Jeremiah 31.9 tells us, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is God speaking, and he's clearly saying he's the firstborn, not Manasseh. And it seems that God has revealed that to Jacob. And so Jacob's saying, hey, by faith, I am going to bless the younger one over the older one because God is revealing that to me because God has chosen Ephraim over 
Manasseh in that way. But we also see the faith of the blessing itself. Notice what the blessing is. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. As Jacob is pronouncing this blessing over his grandsons, ultimately to Joseph, notice that he's recognizing, I'm going to include the promises of God within this blessing. I'm being moved by what God has promised me that I've never seen in my life. A multitude. My descendants are going to be as a multitude. This is one of the things that he declares, that you guys... You're my descendants, and this would be what happens with you. That God would grow you into a multitude. But you know what? He says something at the end of this chapter, verse 21. Israel says to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your father. Speaking of the promised land. So as he's blessing, he's saying, you know what? As God has declared and promised me that my descendants will be a mighty great nation, I'm praying that blessing upon you, believing God's going to do that through you. And you know what, Joseph, I want you to know, I know we're in Egypt right now. I know we're not in the promised land. None of them are. But guess what? God is going to bring us back there. That's part of his promise to me. And I'm not going to be alive when it happens. But I want you to know it's going to happen. God's going to do it. He's going to bring my descendants back. And we see this faith at the end of Jacob's life. He never saw it. He never saw them become a nation. He never saw them go back to the promised land. He never saw the one that that would come in the future that was going to bless everybody. But he came to a point where he said, you know what? I still believe it. I believe I have faith that God's going to do what he promised, even though in my lifetime, I've never seen it. And I think a great example for each of us. You know, I think it's interesting as Christians, some of the most important things that we have faith and hope in are things we're never going to see. We put our faith in Jesus. Guess what? None of us are going to see him in the flesh. It's great when you read in the Gospels and people saw him and lived and walked as he became a man. We're not going to see that. The place that we're hoping and having faith to go to, heaven, we're not going to see it in this life. We believe in a place and we we hear the description and it sounds so amazing, but we've never seen it and we won't see it until the day we die or we're raptured and go see it. But we're believing in something we haven't seen. Bible tells us we're going to get new glorified bodies, wonderful bodies, great upgrades, live forever. Guess what? We're never going to see them. There's so much that we believe in that we will never see in this life. And at the end of our life, we're going to be in a place like Jacob and we're going to have to be challenged with, am I still going to believe even though I haven't seen this stuff? I've never seen heaven. Do I really still believe I'm going? I've never actually seen Jesus. Do I really believe in his existence and the relationship I'm going to have and that I'm going to get to see him face to face in heaven? Do I really believe I'm going to get this glorified body and I'm going to live forever? Do I really believe these things even though I have not seen them? And that's what faith, this faith of Hebrews, that we would say, you know what? God's promises are enough. There's enough evidence in who God is and what he's declared that I can hold fast to those things, know confidently they're coming and place my faith in them. And Jacob got to that place, but it happened through that wrestling match. It happened through God breaking him, through God conquering him. And there was that change where he finally came to a place where, yes, Lord, I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust, and I'm going to do that even though I don't see these promises in my life. But I believe in the future you're going to do it. 
John MacArthur wrote this, Jacob did not die in the despair of unfulfilled dreams. He didn't die saying, oh, it never came, it never came. He died saying, it will come, because he believed God. He died then, defeating death, knowing that he would die, but the promise of God could never die. And I think that's the thing that we need to just recognize. Yeah, Jacob died, but the promise didn't. You and I will die eventually unless the Lord comes back for us beforehand. But you know what? His promises never die. Some of them are future. Some of them aren't going to happen in our lifetime. And that's okay. Because we can trust that, you know what, whether I see them or not, God's faithful to fulfill everything he promises to do. If you're struggling and having faith in things you haven't seen, perhaps you need God to conquer you like he conquered Jacob. Because you and I, you know, we're not going to conquer anything until God conquers us. And so if you want to be that man, that woman of faith that we've been looking at week after week, all these examples, I want that to be me. Give your life completely to the Lord and let him completely conquer you. And be encouraged. Isaac and Jacob, man, they were messed up guys, messed up lives, disobedient, but yet the Lord was able to take people like that and bring them to a place of faith. So you might be looking at your life and go, I can never be like these people. Sure you can. You'd be just like these guys. You might be messed up now, but God can change you. God can help you grow. Maybe he needs to wrestle you. Maybe he needs to conquer you. Maybe there's things that he's going to rip out of your life because you're holding on to him, but he loves you enough. He began that work. He's going to complete it. Trust that he will do the work. Submit yourself to him. If you're in an area of your life right now that's messed up, an area of disobedience, I encourage you to do the three things that we looked at earlier. First, recognize it. Just let the Lord, the Spirit of God, if He's speaking to you, just admit it. Yes, I'm in sin. But don't just accept that. Repent. Repent of it. Get right. And then return to God's Word, God's will, God's promises. Put your faith in them and obey them. Let's pray. Father, we are we're grateful that you, when you share about people's lives, you're just real, you're honest. You share their failures, you share their successes. We can relate because we have both. And God, I'm so grateful to see someone like Isaac, someone like Jacob with so many of their issues, so many of the messed up families they had, Lord, that you were able to change them. You were able to help them grow to a place of faith in you. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us, wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our life or our family, Lord, that you would help us to see and be confident and know that you can change us that you want to change us, that you want to bring us to a place of obedience, a place where we do what your word says, a place where we follow your will in our life. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each individual here, to each individual watching online, God. If there's disobedience, that you would make that clear, that we'd be willing to repent, that we'd be willing to return to your word and what it says and do it. And Lord, we know in our own strength and efforts like Jacob, we can't do anything, Lord, but... We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We know that through the power of your spirit, it's possible. And so I pray as we recognize our failures, Lord, we would recognize that you are the God who can give us what we need to obey what you've called us to do. And so help us this morning, Lord. Help us follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I'm excited to introduce, uh, I've mentioned last week, and we have Aaron and Lindsay and their family here, and uh, I just wanted you know, Aaron to come up and just introduce himself, share a little bit with you. Um, and so, Aaron, why don't you come on up and just uh, share a little bit with our church. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Aaron Green. Uh, so, hey, we're just thrilled to be here with you guys, and um, what an encouraging message. That was a very encouraging message, and, you know, one thing that really spoke to me is um, Jacob worshiping the Lord, leaning on his staff. Um, just uh, how important it is for us to um, really to really see what God wants to do in us. You know, we have to let the Lord conquer us. I really appreciated that. That was so encouraging, and... Um, you know, may that be something we incorporate in our lives daily. Uh, who are we? Um, I don't know. <laughs> we're just we're just uh, two people that love the Lord. We've got four crazy kids. You'll meet them at some point um, if they haven't already run you over yet. And um, uh, two boys, two girls. Uh, oldest is nine. Uh, Elijah. Shiloh is eight. Thank you. Um, Penelope is six, and Margaret is three, and she's the craziest. Why is it always the last ones, the craziest? I don't get that. Um, but uh, we love the Lord, and um, we're just excited and thrilled to be serving you all and serving the Lord with you together. Um, and um, please, uh, if there's any questions you guys have uh, about us, um, please feel free to share, and we love to talk with you guys. But I really don't know what to tell you about me other than um, other than um, we've just been serving the Lord and want to continue to serve the Lord with you guys. Lindsay, anything you want to share? So, um, yeah, um, any any questions for us? Um, how long have it? Oh, there we go. Um, so I got saved uh, when I was 22, 23, and so I guess I've been walking with the Lord for about 25 years now, or more than that. So, um, and then um, we met at church, Singles Ministry. So yay, Singles Ministry! Um, ironically, we were living in Houston, up in near Bel Air, and it's it's funny how. <laughs> so, so I was looking for a new church. And I was going to a church at uh, just around Almeda Mall, and I was going to a church, and I was like, you know, this is too far because I'm living in a medical center, I'm working in a medical center. I'm like, Lord, this is too far. Yeah, I just felt like, Lord, you're moving me on. And so a friend of mine told me about this church, and I I got involved, and I was like, okay, Lord, this church is actually further than the church I was going to. What are you doing? And then Lindsay, you were, Yeah, you were just like, she just was, we were living in the same area and someone recommended that she come to the, so we met at church, long story short, whatever. We can talk about it more later. Um, so we'll be free to tell you about that. Uh, any other questions for us? Sorry, obviously I have all these notes, right? And plan this out, uh, which I don't. Well, let me just say this. Philippians chapter one, verse six says, he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. And I just wanna say that, um, God is establishing the work, and he's going he's gonna to finish this work, and he's not done. And um, so 
uh, what I see is uh, just another opportunity for God to just do a great and mighty thing through this congregation. Um, first here within these walls and then carrying out, you know, into um, our surrounding communities and stuff like that. And really the thing is, you know, we want to grow in our love for the Lord. We want to grow in our love and our passion for Jesus because it's that passion and love that he had for us. That's the reason why we're here today. That's the reason we, we serve him. That's the reason why we, we worship him. He truly conquered us with his love. Amen. And so um, uh, we're just really just excited. And I really don't have, you know, this. I didn't couldn't, couldn't think of anything to share other than just this. But um, can we do this? Can, can, you, can, I, can you guys humor me? Can we do one quick thing? Um, Robert, do you mind if we pray for you right now? Can we just lay hands on Robert and pray for Robert and, and Yitzel? right now. Uh, Pastor Matthew, if you Father, we just, we lift up Robert to you, Lord. We lift up itself to you, God. And uh, Lord, we just pray for your comfort upon them. Lord, we pray for you just to be with them right now. Give them your Give him, Lord, especially your peace, Lord, and God, we lift up itself. God, you know everything's going on. Lord, we just pray for her. Uh, Lord, we pray for you to do a miracle with her. Lord, we pray for healing upon her. God, we pray for you to bring her out of all that's going on, Lord, uh, that you would uh, bring her back to her husband and her baby, Lord, um, that you would just do a great work in her life, Lord, and I just pray that um, you, if you want to use the doctors, that you would give them wisdom of how to treat her uh, and what would work best, Lord, to uh, help her recover completely, God. So we just lift them to you, um, and we just thank you for them, Lord. We love them deeply, uh, and we just ask that you would do uh, a miracle in this situation, Lord. So just be with them, strengthen them, uh, pour your peace upon them, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I encourage you just to continue to pray for itself. Um, I just wanted to give a couple of announcements. This Thursday, we're back in our home group. So uh, at the Weldon's house, 6 o'clock is when we're going to have dinner. So I uh, encourage you. That's going to be uh, my family and I will be there. It'll be our last uh, home group that we'll be able to attend. Uh, next Sunday is our final Sunday. Uh, and so I'm going to be able to share one final encouragement from the Word of God with you. Uh, and then we're going to have something special where uh, Aaron and Lindsay and their whole family are going to come up. And we're going to get to pray for them uh, as they transition to take over the church. And then my family will also be able to come and you guys can pray for us as we transition to what God has called us to as well. Uh, and so just be a great time to um, just... Encourage one another, be with one another again as a, as a body. So I encourage you all to, to come out uh, and we can be blessed with that. But um, yeah, uh, just keep excel in prayer. So let's just close one more time and thanking the Lord for what he did this morning. Father, you are great. We know that you can touch lives. We know that you can heal and we're thankful for that. And Lord, we know that you can take broken people and you can make them whole. Uh, and Lord, we're thankful that we see that in guys like Isaac and Jacob in our own lives. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would move, uh, that you would just do a great work in each one of us here in person, there online, Lord. We know that you know what's going on in our lives. You know you know what we need. Um, and we just pray that you would just move in a powerful way because we want to be like Jesus. 
And we know that there are things that need to change for that to happen more and more each day. And so we pray that you would help that. Uh, We just ask that you would bless this week coming before us. Lord, may we bring glory and honor in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We can hang out and fellowship and uh, hope to see you next Sunday as well.